0: Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Christ the Redeemer Anglican Church. If you're joining us today for the first time, we're preaching a sermon series called Discovering Discipleship. We are, as we've been saying, we're asking what it means to be a follower, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And on this screen behind me, you can see some of the topics that we've covered. How the discovery of discipleship begins, in a sense, in a very specific way. We have described that way as the intersection of brokenness and beauty. How God sees the brokenness in this world, how God sees the brokenness in you and in me, and he determines to do something about it. He decides to fix it through his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. St. Paul says it this way in Romans 5.8, that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the central act of our salvation. Without it, we are dead in our sins. Without it, we are destined for hell. Two weeks ago, I preached on the centrality of the cross, and we were looking at it, if you recall, through the lens of the transfiguration, how Jesus had called Peter and James and John to go up high on the mountain with him, and there he revealed his glory in their midst, there with Moses and Elijah in his presence. Naturally enough, the disciples, as we observe, they wanted to stay there, As we said, Jesus was winning in every way, right? By His words and by His miraculous deeds, Jesus was winning. What else could He possibly have to do to secure His victory? After all, with Moses and Elijah, they saw the continuity of the covenant. Through His transfiguration, they could see the culmination of His kingdom coming. But then Jesus led them down from the mountain, and he began to teach them. In fact, he would say this to them three times. He would say in some form or fashion that the Son of Man must suffer many things, that he must be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and that he must be killed, but that after three days he would rise again. And good old Peter, Peter just didn't quite understand that, did he? And so no wonder Peter rebuked Jesus. I mean, that's what we do when we don't understand things, isn't it? We argue, we protest, we push back. But as Aslan would have described it in that classic work, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the disciples, they didn't yet know the deeper magic. They didn't yet know the nature of the divine exchange. To them, the cross meant one of two things. Either you were a criminal in the community or you were an insurrectionist, an enemy of the state. Or maybe you were both. And as it turns out, Jesus Christ was both. Jesus became the criminal on our behalf. We committed the crime against God and Jesus took the punishment for it. As I emphasized in last Sunday's sermon from 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. It has been said Jesus became culpable on the cross because He was capable. And when His culpability was exceeded by His capability, Jesus became the greatest insurrectionist of all time. He overthrew every evil in this world. Remember His deeds before His death. Healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, calming the storm, walking on water, feeding the 5,000. And on that cross, Jesus overcame the greatest evil. He defeated death by His own death. And He won for us the hope of everlasting life. And my friends, if that's not good news... I just don't have anything else to offer. Let us listen again to the words from St. Paul in Romans 8. He says, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, if God is for us, who can be against us? He did not withhold His own Son, but He gave Him up for all of us. And therefore, will He not with Him give us everything else? My brothers and sisters, how do we know that God loves us? How can we be sure that God is for us and not against us? The cross of Jesus Christ is all the evidence we need. So here's our question for today as we continue to discover discipleship here at Christ the Redeemer. How can I receive this? How can I receive the mercies of Jesus' death? How do I receive the merits of Jesus' victory? And Jesus essentially tells us this. He says it doesn't come by observation alone, but it actually comes by participation. Calling the crowd to Him with His disciples, Jesus said to them, if anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross, and let him follow after me, For whoever would save his life will lose it, Jesus continues. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel, he is the one, that's the one who will save it. Jesus, my friends, is not just asking us to look to the cross. Jesus is saying if we want to have eternal life, we ourselves actually have to go through the cross. Renowned theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. How do I receive the merits of Jesus' victory? How do I receive the mercies given to me on the cross? Not by observation alone, but by participation. Participation in what you might call the divine exchange. And the divine exchange is this. Death for life. Death. For life. Now, I understand crucifixion isn't easy. It isn't pleasant for us to think about. It doesn't sound very inviting on the surface. But I want to suggest this. I want to suggest to us this morning that, that crucifixion is actually already in us. The idea is already there. In order to have the means to provide for our family, we have to die to whatever causes poverty. And we make the sacrifice of going to work. And there are other things, aren't there? In order to live a healthy and an active life, we have to die to things that produce unhealthy living in us. And we make the sacrifice to eat good food and to exercise. In order to be free from addiction, we have to put bad habits to death. And to live a clean life and a sober life. And we know that we can't just do it halfway, can we? You can't almost get a job. You can't kind of go to the gym once in a while to feel the benefits of it. You can't almost quit smoking. You can't almost quit drinking. In order for something good to come fully alive in us, something bad in us has to die. Death for life. And why? Why do we do this? We do it because we understand the reward. We do it because we want the reward, and so we're willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to have the reward because we know that it's good. So here's the question. Why is this idea so relatively easy in our natural lives? And why is it sometimes so difficult in our spiritual lives? In other words, we'll work 80 hours a week. We'll join gyms. We'll wear nicotine patches. We'll crucify all kinds of things that are bad for us in the body. But what about when it comes to the salvation of our soul? Will we deny ourselves and take up our cross to follow Him? And here's what I mean by that. You see, we do all kinds of good works for God. And don't get me wrong, good works are a very good thing. It's certainly better to do good than to do bad. But there's just one little problem and we know it. What about those bad things? What about those things that we do that we know are wrong? The lies, even if they're little white ones that we tend to tell to save face, putting someone down to exalt ourselves, the websites that we know we shouldn't look at. And I could go on, but it would get very uncomfortable for all of us, wouldn't it? The good news is that we're not alone in our discomfort in this way. It got a little uncomfortable for our friend, St. Peter. Early on in the Gospels, Jesus starts to hang around Peter. And as Peter followed Jesus, he saw Jesus do things. He performed signs and wonders that Peter, or anyone else for that matter, had never seen. Jesus taught as one who had authority. Jesus healed Peter's own mother-in-law. Jesus cast a demon out of a man until at one point, Peter finally says this. He cries out, depart, depart from me, Lord. For I am a sinful man. So why do you think Peter would say that? It's the same reason that so many run from Jesus rather than running to Jesus. You see, Peter actually understood something about God, didn't he? And what he understood made him a a little more than just a little uncomfortable. In fact, as the book of Hebrews says, it made him fearful to fall into the hands of Of the living God. You see, this is what Peter saw. Peter saw that God is holy. He's not like us, He's above us, He's higher than us, He's beautiful, He's perfect. Peter had a sense of that. Peter got that God is righteous. He was working unrighteousness out of this world by His words and by His deeds. And Peter knew that God is just that God was doing something about the evil in this world. So as Peter looked at Jesus and then he looked at himself, he instinctively cried out, Depart from me, Lord. Go away from me, for I'm a sinful man. And if we're honest with ourselves, and I'll speak for myself, I'm just like that. I can be just like Peter in that way. When we see ourselves in the light of God, our first inclination can be to run from God. Get away from me, God, because I'm a sinner. And I know it, even if I don't like to admit it. But my friends, here's the good news. The good news is that's true, but it's only half of the truth. You see, at that time, Peter only had half of the story. He only had the first half of the story. And today, Jesus is giving us the second half, the rest of the story how he begins to teach that the Son of Man must suffer and must be rejected and must die. But then again on the third day, he will rise from the dead. Yes, God is holy. He is righteous and he is just. And we wouldn't want it any other way. But what Jesus is showing us today is this. God is forgiving. God is forgiving. God is loving. And God is merciful. And that, my friends, is good news. Here's what it comes down to. Christianity is not some sort of a shell game. We can't just show our good deeds to God and try and hide our bad deeds, hoping that in the end one of them will outweigh the other, hopefully the good ones. But the good news of the gospel is this. God doesn't want us to hide. We don't have to hide from him. In Christ Jesus, we can find forgiveness and mercy and grace. See, God doesn't want some of us. He wants all of us. He wants the good. And as the phrase goes, he wants the bad. And he even wants the ugly. Even those parts of us, God wants. Because he wants all of us. And my friends, Christianity is not a spectator sport Jesus doesn't just call us to the cross. He calls us through the cross. Salvation does not happen by observation alone. Salvation happens by participation. Not just Jesus' death and Jesus' life, but our also dying to the things that prevent the divine life from opening up in us. So let me close with the reward. In our natural lives, we make the sacrifice to receive the ward. We endure the suffering to gain the glory. We know the idea, right? No pain, no gain. And in our spiritual lives, St. Paul says it this way. We sang these words just a few minutes ago from Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Paul says this. He says that I may know Him. That I may know Him in the power of His resurrection. Somehow... Becoming like him in his suffering and in his death. That I may do whatever it takes to attain everlasting life. He says that by any means possible that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. See, here's the thing. Paul is so enamored by the power of Jesus' resurrection. He's so enthralled by the power of Jesus' resurrection. Paul is so engaged by the power of of Jesus' resurrection, that he's simply willing to do whatever it takes to have it. And so we ask ourselves the question with St. Paul, will we do whatever it takes? Will I do whatever it takes to become like him in his death, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection And as we know, Lent is a great opportunity for us to do that. To give up something of ourselves that we might take on something of God. So let me finish with this. Maybe you haven't found something yet in Lent. Maybe you've found something and you already feel like you've faltered in what you're trying to do in Lent. Maybe there's something more. Maybe you're here this morning and there's a brokenness. And God's been calling you to give him that brokenness for a long, long time. Because he wants to make it beautiful. That's the transaction. That's the death for life exchange that God is offering to us. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe there's unforgiveness that you're carrying around somewhere in your heart. Maybe it's something else. You know and God knows. So here's what I want to do. I want to give us an opportunity this morning to give it to God. To give Him our brokenness that He might make it beautiful. Sometimes we do something a little different in the liturgy. And what I want to do is create space before we sing the Nicene Creed, say the Nicene Creed, to sing the song we sang at the Gospel. Not singing it because it's just what we do during the Gospel, but singing it because this is a time that we can be with God. And if you can simply imagine yourselves in this way, that nobody else is in the room and nothing else matters except you and Jesus. That He's brought you here this morning because He has a divine appointment with you to take that place of brokenness and make it beautiful. This is your time. This is your time to be with Jesus. Would you stand and sing with me?